We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. Hi, I'm Yui Xu. And I'm Julie Krafchick. We're active daters turned dating sociologists. Here to dive into everything modern dating and relationships. Welcome to the Dateable Podcast. Yay, welcome <laughs> back <laughs> to another episode. We never go away. You just can't get rid of us. We're always here to talk about dating. There's always more to talk about and there's always more people to talk to <laughs> about dating. There is. And this one is such a good episode. I'm so excited. That Are you excited, get- Julie? You're I am. <laughs> I'm really excited. I can't wait I- for the day you say, I'm not excited about this episode. <laughs> it's a terrible episode, but we're going to air it anyway. No, we just wouldn't do that to you all. And Okay, that's actually a fact. You and I have not aired a couple episodes because our primary purpose, again, is to bring you all content that's relevant, useful, and digestible. And if Yes. We've had this happen before. It's been very rare. I'd say in our seven years, I can think of three that we three. didn't hear. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Four. Four. But really? two of them were, yeah, we t- we kind of talked about this in our, one of our Ask Me Anythings, <laughs> but we had two that the people were just too, this was like the beginning where we were still kind of like learning how to do this, but it was too focused on people that weren't there. Yeah, I remember And we that. don't want to do that. Like we want people to tell their story, not talk shit about someone that's not there to, to defend themselves. That's not what we're about. Mm-hmm. The other one was an okay interview, wasn't bad, wasn't great. But we might have had a technical issue oh, that we lost yes. it. I remember the technical <laughs> issue. Yeah. And then we, UA and I had one recently. Oh, so unfortunate. We thought it could have been season opener material. Well, here's the thing we have a shit ton of experts who approach us and want to be on the show. Rightfully so. I mean, we love talking to experts. The problem is that's the thing with this industry. Sometimes people can say they're an expert, but are they really an expert? Are they credible? And through conversation, you start finding out, oh, not so much. Or we think this is not going to resonate with you all. You're going to listen to this and think it's a 
crock of shit or it's a bad reflection on the dateable brand. It's very rare for something like that to happen and we don't love it when it happens, but it's a it's a good thing for the show because it shows you that we are discerning with our content. But we also had one person who walked out on us too, so we can <laughs> true, count true. five. But <laughs> this episode was not that. We had a wonderful guest. Thank God. We also were on her podcast, which will be coming out soon. Not exactly sure what her date is, but we had a really good, fun conversation on her podcast, Eat, Pray, FML. <laughs> and I actually remember, so I read her book. Gabrielle Stone is our guest. I read her book in the height of COVID in 2020. Mm-hmm. I remember I was back at my parents' house. Remember when I was there for like six weeks yes. in the winter and I just stayed through November and December? Maybe it was even longer than six weeks. It was a long time. And it was kind of fun. I was taking video dates in the basement. It was kind of fun, but also kind of <laughs> weird at the same time. Like you're back in high school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I remember reading her book and seeing it on TikTok where all great things are discovered. And her story, though, her story just resonated so much. Like not in the sense that I've been through what she's been through at all. Like I'll just put that out there. I have not. But I was just like, holy shit, is this someone real? Like this is Mm -hmm. a real story. It sounds like something that happens in the freaking movies. But what I admired about her is the way she came out of it. Uh, Just a quick summary in case you're like, what are we talking about here? (laughs) The story is she experienced two devastating heartbreaks back to back. And this is kind of her bounce back comeback story. Mm -hmm. Then she came out with a book. She now has a podcast. She's literally thriving right now. And I find this especially inspiring because we love talking about dating stories, the journeys that people go on, but the the bounce back is Mm -hmm. also a very pivotal point. And we want to showcase more of that because to show you that no matter what you go through, how heartbreaking it is, how challenging it is, you do come back and you choose how you come back. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say it's exactly, you know, 100% correlated because we did start our podcast while I was still dating my ex. But Mm -hmm. going through that breakup and going to therapy and really digesting and understanding my emotions, I feel like that is what has set me up to be able to do this podcast. Mm. I don't think I would have been as, I definitely was not as introspective before I met him. I was kind of just like, oh, let's have fun. Kind of basic. And I feel like through that heartbreak, it forced me to get real and to really start to understand and go through those steps that we talk about so much. I really thank him for that because I don't think I'd be in the place I am if I didn't have that experience. I don't think Adele could have said it better herself because that's exactly her story. Her, All of her, all of her songs are inspired by her heartbreak and her journey. Yeah. Uh, I recently did an exercise with sticky notes because someone inspired me to do this, actually. They did themselves to look at your triumphant moments in your life. So mm. things that you've overcome and how you overcame them. You write it down on sticky notes. You can put it on a mirror. And anytime you're going through something you feel like you can't get through, mm. you revisit your triumphant moments and say, wow, I climbed all those fucking mountains. I slayed those mountains and I yeah. can do that again. It's a great 
you know, reminder of all of that. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the episode we did with Katie Storino a couple seasons back, how mm-hmm. she said, like, coming out of her divorce, she launched a skincare company and, you know, she became the person she is today. So at the time when we're in the thick of heartbreak and going through these less desirable periods of time, it feels like the end of the world. But I think once you can get out of it, you can see how much you've grown and maybe life is actually even better. Yeah, it makes for a better story. Yeah, it's all about how do we process and overcome that mm-hmm. I feel like life is just that over and over again. We're met with all of these challenges and conflicts. Question is how do we overcome it? Yeah. And I mean, I don't even think it needs to be some like you write a book or you start a skincare line. It doesn't even have to be that big. Like I have a friend that went through a very brutal heartbreak that like came out of nowhere. And now she met someone that she's so much happier with. So sometimes it could just be that you're now with a better suited partner for you also. Right. Right. Yeah. Does not have to be a a huge undertaking. (laughs) We'll get into all of it in this episode, obviously, but I love hearing about the different ways that people do love, (laughs) the different Mm -hmm. ways that people do relationships. For example, I'm going to this wedding this weekend in Santa Barbara. This couple, they've been together for many years. They got engaged and then they got pregnant and then they're getting married. They're doing everything backwards. So they had, well, not backwards. I can't even say that because that's like a judgment on how things should go, but they're doing things in a different order. So they got engaged. They had planned their, their respective bachelor and bachelorette parties already and then got pregnant. So they had to cancel all of those plans. (sighs) This was supposed to be in 2020 anyway. I don't think they could have gone on these (laughs) trips. And then they got pregnant. And now two years later, or almost three years later, they're doing their wedding. So and then after the wedding, they're going to do their respective bachelor and bachelor. Oh, my trips. God, that's amazing. So are there kids like born at this point and going oh, yeah, to the wedding? Their kid okay. is over a year, I think. Wow. Almost a year. That's kind of cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, just in a different order. And I, I don't think you need to go in any particular order when you're doing life with someone. You just do whatever feels right. But I think it's so funny that they're going to get married and then do their bachelor and bachelorette trips. That's amazing because we've heard a lot of people recently get engaged and then find out that they're pregnant like right after. I feel like there's been like four stories in the last month we've heard, but I haven't heard of people doing the bachelorette after. That's pretty incredible. (laughs) Yeah. And then maybe, you know, the bridal shower after that. Yeah. (laughs) And then an engagement party. It's like the Benjamin Button of getting married. Oh, yeah. You just go back in time. Order. And it was kind of cool because then your kid gets to witness all of that. I mean, I think even going back to our episode this week, Gabrielle started off like getting divorced, right? That was part mm. of her initial heartbreak. Then when we were talking to her, she was getting married. She's already married at this point. Oh, so is, again, yes. it just it just shows you that there's never like this one opportunity to do things. I think no. so often, and I'm so guilty of this too, it's like you hit a certain age and you're like, has my time passed? Or, you know, am I ever going to find love? But you, it can happen at any stage of life or any time or just doing it completely out of order like you were just talking about. It's the best way to make it your own. 
Okay, well, uh, so uh, totally unrelated, or maybe it's unrelated. Just a reminder, we do have another podcast called Exit Interview. <laughs> it's a limited series with iHeart. We are so in love with the show, and we've heard you all are too. This is where we interview someone's exes, former flames, former crushes on what went wrong in those relationships and how they can be better in their next relationship. This is a very rare opportunity for daters to hear feedback from previous relationships. And then also another rare opportunity to have two strangers (laughs) give them that feedback (laughs) for them. That's us. (laughs) It was such a fun show to record. And we are towards the latter half of the season so perfect time for you to start binging from episode one yeah and i think this falls in line with this whole topic of today too it's like you can come back you could learn from the past and instead of it hindering you for the future like that can propel you forward and open up the next chapter and it's all about how do we just keep growing and evolving we can't control what happens to us in life or what other people might perceive or maybe even we did something that put us in a certain light at that moment all we can do is grow from it yes Mm, growth growth okay well at dateable podcast you can find us there at julie Craftchick, at non-platonic mm-hmm. at exit interview show you can follow us everywhere on the internet also come to tiktok because we really need more followers there so please come there <laughs> and then of course youtube we're on youtube also like there's no getting rid of us at this point we are everywhere <laughs> and this is all on instagram by the way the ats the usernames in case yes 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 <laughs> Yes, thank you. Thank you. I thought it was obvious, but you're right. It might not be. There's so many ways. It's all about meeting you where you're at. That's what we're here for is find us. And of course, Facebook community is another place that you can interact with others. That place is probably the most interactive of anywhere. So whatever works for you on your dateable journey, that's what we're here for. Well, before we get into it, let's hear a message from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's ViaHemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from Via Hemp. This episode is made possible by Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. 
with a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out. Listen, I live in Southern California. There is absolutely no need for puffer coats or any sort of those winter jackets. But when I travel anywhere else in the world in these cold months, I'm often burdened with the task of getting winter clothes. And now with Armoire, I can just rent my winter wardrobe. It's brilliant. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash datable. That is armoire.style, spelled A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Okay, let's hear it from Gabrielle Stone. Well, the queen of FML is here with us today. Her name is Gabrielle (laughs) Stone. She's the author of the book Eat, Pray, FML and host of FML Talks. Who is she? She's 34 years old, lives in LA, has been there all her life, and she is engaged. Now, what is so fascinating is that you wrote this book, Eat, Pray, FML, after you learned about your husband's affair and then experienced another gut-wrenching heartbreak after a second attempt of love. But now you're engaged. Congratulations. And by the time this airs, you'll be married already. So you are now married. We'll say that. We'll say that in the future. You're now married. (laughs) We're in the future. (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) But there's so many learnings along the way. And we are so honored to have you on our show to share all the learnings with our audience. So welcome, Gabrielle. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. I appreciate you having me. (laughs) We're excited. I read your book in 2020. I think I saw it through TikTok. Yes, this is a real treat to have you. And I just remember being like, wow, she's gone through so much, yet Mm. she is so positive and has used it for good in learning. So we're excited to share your story with others. So maybe take us back to that day when you learned about the affair. We could start there. That fateful day. (laughs) Yeah. So I was married for almost two years. I found out my husband was having an affair with a 19-year-old for six months, among a lot of other extramarital doings (laughs) that were uncovered during my detective time. And I filed for divorce, left. Shortly after that, I met a guy who's a pretty well-known actor in Hollywood. We fell madly in love with each other. It just went from zero to 100. And it was like, meet my family. I'm going to have babies with this person. Like, we're done. And he invited me on a month-long trip to Italy with him. Mm. I, at first, of course, was like, you're absolutely crazy, but also, when are you leaving? (laughs) And he said September 4th, which would have been my two-year wedding anniversary. And he was coming home on October 4th, which was my late father's birthday. Mm. So I was like, okay, universe, I hear you. All the signs are telling me to go. I'm booking my trip to Europe. It's fabulous. We were together for a month and a half, and 
everything was just like blissful. I met his family. Mm. He was like all about it. His friends were like, we've never seen him like this before. And everything was perfect. 48 hours before we were getting on a plane, he told me he needed to go by himself and broke up with me. <gasps> and I was absolutely <laughs> devastated. What? This man broke my heart like my ex-husband never could have done. And I was sitting on my bed at my mother's house because that's where you move when you're 28 and get divorced. And in a pool of tears was like, well, I can either stay at home heartbroken or I can go travel Europe for a month by myself. So I took my backpack that was already packed by that time. And 48 did, hours, yeah. Yep. And did six countries over the span of a month and wrote the wow. book Eat, Pray, FML. Shit. Wait, so, okay. So you're on the plane. Are you sitting next to him for oh, yeah. about 14 hours? Yeah. We sat right next to each other. It was like a very interesting long flight. Oh, and what? then our initial trip, like we were supposed to fly from LA <gasps> to London and then connect and go London to Rome. So we both flew to London. I started my trip in London. He went on to Rome. And what was his reasoning? Seems so sudden. So that's kind of where it gets tricky. He, a year and a half before we met, lost his brother to suicide. Mm. And he had been on his own healing journey. But when I met him, it was, you know, I finally feel like I've come through the other side and I've healed from it. And like my relationships with my parents have gotten better. And the reasoning that he gave me is that he was having all this grief come up mm. and he just felt nothing for anyone in his life anymore. He woke up one day and didn't feel the same way about me, didn't feel connected to his family. And it made it very complicated because I myself have lost people in my life and I'm no stranger to grief. So there was a part of me that wanted to like protect him and defend mm -hmm. his decision to all of my friends and family that were like, fuck this fool. Yeah. And the other half of me was like, okay, but even so, you came into my life after a blindsiding divorce and made me fall in love with you, invited me on this trip, and now you're dumping me two days before we're supposed to be right. going on it. Yeah. So it was very confusing and complex. <laughs> I wish I could say I've never heard of this happening. Maybe not to this extent that you're like getting on a plane, but I feel like a lot of times we have heard stories of these hot and heavy relationships that really come yeah. in hot and then burn out what we call microwave relationships. <laughs> they fizzle really fast. <laughs> That's a great term. <laughs> like if you were to look back knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently in this relationship? Or do you really feel like there wasn't anything and it just was something that had to play out? Well, at the time, I had not heard the term love bombing. Mm -hmm. I think mm. that it's a term that gets thrown around very frequently nowadays. But I think that there's two different ways that love bombing can happen. It can happen, one, from a narcissist who sets their sights on you and they're like, I'm going to love bomb this person so that they become obsessed with me and then I'm going to take them away from their friends and family and like they're mm -hmm. going to be all mine. Then there's the other type of love bombing, which I believe is what I experienced, which is when someone has a void within themselves that they're mm -hmm. desperately trying to fill to feel better. Yes. Right. From grief, from lack of self, whatever it is. And they meet you and they're like, oh my God, this person's making me feel so much better. I want more of them all the time because this must be it. This is the way to feel better and fix that void. Mm. And eventually that goes away because nobody can do that for you except yourself. So when that realization comes and that high isn't happening anymore and that void isn't feeling filled, they pull away mm -hmm. and you're at the height of the 
the honeymoon stage, being left there to say, okay, what now? And it's Mm. the worst heartbreak I've ever experienced, way more so than my five-year relationship with my ex-husband ending because that – when you're at like the new honeymoon stage, it's very shocking to have that suddenly be ripped away from you and very confusing as to how you went to bed in love with someone and woke up not. Right. Yeah. And it's that compound grief too. I mean, you still had the first relationship and now here's another failed relationship. How did you even gather yourself back up and say, I'm going to travel Europe and write a book. I think I would just be in bed for at least a year. How were you able to motivate yourself to do that? You know, I think I didn't have time to like get the options in my head. You know, I was like, well, I could, you know, switch my plane ticket or I could just stay here and cry. But I knew I'm a very big believer that everything happens for a reason, not in like the toxic positivity way, but in the everything genuinely does happen for a reason. Mm -hmm. Even the horrible shit that's gone down in my life, I can look back and say, okay, this was terrible, but it led me to being this type of person that I am now or learning these lessons. And like, I can see why they all happened. Sometimes you can't see that until you have a little bit more perspective on the situation. But in that moment, I was like, no, this is going to force me to go heal a bunch of shit that I've been carrying with me for a very, very long time. Mm. I had grown up with a long-stemming fear of abandonment. I lost my father when I was six years old pretty traumatically, lost my high school sweetheart in a car accident when I was 18, Mm. and I had always carried this, you know, when I love someone, they die, or when I love someone, they leave. Mm. And that became subconsciously what I was attracting. I was attracting these men into my life that were abandoning me in different ways. My ex-husband in one of the most heinous ways you can, you know, like disrespecting someone's body and Mm -hmm. the word that they've given you. And Javier, the man that dumped me before Europe, quite literally, it was laughable the way the universe was bringing (laughs) this into my life. It was like, no, he's going to abandon you right before you get on this trip that he invited you on. So I knew in that moment, I was like, okay, whatever I'm going to learn on this trip is going to be very powerful and it's going to change my life and heal me. And if I can get that out to the world in some way, it's probably going to help a lot of other people heal as well. So it's super insightful that you were able to draw all of that, especially to your past. Is that more now that you've gone through this experience or like take us through like how you actually arrived at some of these conclusions? Because I Mm -hmm. think this is helpful for people to hear someone's thought process or approach that they took, because a lot of us have these wounds that we're carrying from childhood and years past and bad relationships. How do you come out of it? I think it was a little of both. I think in my soul, I knew that this was going to be a life-changing experience and that it was happening the way it was supposed to. That doesn't mean I was not hysterical and heartbroken and like really (laughs) fucked up about the whole thing because believe me, I was. But I think, you know, one of the things that I write about in the book consistently throughout the trip is a technique that I came up with called the thought onion. And it's really a way to dissect the thoughts and feelings that you're having to figure out what's at that subconscious level, which is so important. So you look at it like an onion. The first layer is the superficial thought. Mm -hmm. And it's that kind of knee-jerk reaction that you have when something happens, like that immediate Mm -hmm. reaction that you can't even control. And it's usually very superficial. Underneath that, 
is the authentic thought. When you can get to that, that's kind of like the emotion inside you that caused that Mm -hmm. superficial reaction in the first place. And underneath that is where the real like golden nuggets are. And that's the subconscious thought. And that's usually Mm -hmm. a long stemming trauma or a subconscious belief that's been with you since childhood, something that's usually really deep. And when you can figure out what's at that layer, you can then be aware of it, start to adjust it and have different thoughts and reactions in the future. So it was a lot of that throughout my trip that kind of put all the different pieces together to shed some light on that. But in order to do that, how do you not get overpowered by the emotions, especially when you're still in it and feeling it? I think that you have to like meet yourself exactly where you are. So there are days when you will Mm. get overpowered by the emotions. There are days that I sat in my room on that trip and just cried and wrote for hours on end. And there are days that I went out and partied and met people and did stupid shit. (laughs) So I think if you're being authentically you and meeting yourself where you are, then whatever's coming up is warranted and you need to acknowledge that. So Mm. If you're leaning into going into the emotion of it and then there's days where you can take a breath and like zoom out and get some perspective on it, it's just a matter of really dissecting what's happening Mm. on a day by day. So how long was the trip? So I was gone for a month total from September 4th to October 4th and nothing was planned. Like I literally knew that I was starting in London (laughs) and that was it. (laughs) So take us through this trip. You've already kind of said that there were some days that you partied, some days that you didn't leave the hotel room. What were some of the like highlights and pivotal moments that made you reflect and look at what was going on? Well, first of all, there were no hotel rooms. It was hostels or like random people that I got hooked up to stay with. It was very different than the way I was originally Mm. used to traveling. Like I had always traveled with (laughs) luggage, not a backpack and like with Mm -hmm. friends, not by myself. So it was a whole different experience for me. But I think one of the highlights was seeing from country to country myself getting more comfortable with the idea of being alone. Mm. I remember very vividly in London, I was getting on the London Eye my first day, kind of walking around the city by myself. And there was a photographer there taking pictures of everybody before they went on that you could like buy after. And when I got up there, he was like, oh, you're by yourself. It's just one. You're alone. And I was like, yes, sir. Thank you for (laughs) fucking pointing out that I'm vastly single and by myself. Great. I was really self-conscious the first few days of the trip to be by myself. And I was very uncomfortable with it. And then throughout the journey, there came a time a couple countries in where I was like, oh, I'm proud of being by myself. Mm. I'm empowered Mm. by being by myself. And that really was a big shift for me because one of the ways that my abandonment fears showed up throughout my life was never wanting to be alone. I always had a boyfriend or there were friends over or I had a roommate. Like I was never really alone. So this trip made me realize, A, how capable I am by myself, but also how much I thrived being alone and like was able to really get to know myself in a way that I never had before. At what point on this trip did you decide to write a book? Before I even left. So the day after I got the news from him that I was going to be going on this trip by myself, he came and picked me up and we had this like long conversation about what everything was going to look like. And I was like, I think I'm still going to go <laughs> and I think I'm going to write a book about it. And it was just something that I was not a writer before wow. this. Like I had written one short screenplay that was like 10 pages. I could bullshit the hell out of an essay, but like that was the extent of my writing career. And 
I just felt in my soul that this is what I was supposed to be doing. My life had become like this like weird version of like a fucked up horror sitcom. And I was like, I mean, <laughs> there's going to be something that's going to happen on this trip because the stuff that's right. led up to it is so ridiculous yeah. that I just knew. And the next day I went and bought a leather bound journal, started writing the first day I was in London mm. and wrote three fourths of it in that journal on the trip. And if you open it, it's like chapter one, like it's very close to how the finished published book ended up. Wow. I wrote the whole thing in three months flat, wow. which I can tell you from writing the sequel is wildly fast. <laughs> it's just getting your emotions out. I mean, I think that's really what it sounds like. You had a lot of built up. It is. I know you said that the second heartbreak hit harder. And I think a lot of it is sometimes these short ones actually do hit mm-hmm. harder because there's less resolution. They come out of nowhere. Yep. Not to say that I'm sure you were blindsided by your husband's affair too. But yes. did you feel like you were able to process that more during this? What did that look like? I get asked a lot like if Javier was a rebound and my answer to that is like, I fucking wish it would be so much easier because you're right. Like I get so many messages from people that read my book and they're like, why can I not get over the guy that I was with for three months and like the guy I was with for Mm -hmm. six years I Mm -hmm. could give two shits about? It's a serious thing. And I think it's part of that like honeymoon stage, you know, that whole scenario. But for me, I was very weirdly okay after my divorce. Blindsided, yes. Like completely betrayed. I felt rage to him for disrespecting my body and our vows. And like there was so much complexity with that. But I wasn't heartbroken. We had been like miserable and like trying to figure our shit out in therapy for six months, which was like the length of the affair. I just like didn't know why. Mm. So I had been mentally checked out of that relationship for quite some time. So when I left the house after handing him divorce papers, I felt like a weight lift off my shoulders. And I was like, thank God he made it so easy for me to walk away because I would have stayed in this relationship trying to make it work for so long. Right. And it was really a gift. So for me, it was like Mm. that wasn't the heartbreak aspect of it. There was a lot of other trauma that I needed to work through, but for the most part, I was weirdly okay. Javier fucked me up. I was not okay yeah. after that. By the time I got on the plane to Europe, we had like added the heartbreak ingredient to the <laughs> cocktail and I was full on <laughs> drunk at that point. Like, all right, well, here we go off to Europe. That was what really kind of knocked me on my ass. <laughs> I can see that too. Also with your ex-husband, he gave you a reason to hate him. There's a very yeah. good reason to yeah. leave that right. situation. Right. But with the second situation, I mean, that's really hard because there really is no reason. It's not a reason that you can really argue with. Mm. So I totally get that. Yeah. Right. And it's not it's not a reason that like you can hate someone for. Right. It's a reason right. yeah. that you're like, okay, well, fuck, what do I do with that? And, you know, I write about this in the book. I discovered when I fell in love with Javier that I was never really in love with my ex-husband. I loved him Mm. as a person, Mm. but I was never really in love with him. I think that I married him because he was the safe option. Because when you grow up experiencing the men in your life that you love dying Mm. in a very literal sense, you're like, okay, well, I loved my dad and he died. I loved my high school sweetheart and he died. So I'm going to marry someone I'm not fully in love with because that's safe. Oh, interesting. And this Mm -hmm. is all subconscious, like very deep Mm. subconscious shit. I obviously didn't walk down the aisle (laughs) being like, hey, (laughs) like we're good. Let's go. (laughs) You're my safe. 
safe choice. <laughs> but, you know, to like realize that after the fact was like a really big fucking aha moment for me. So did you ever see Javier again, like on this trip? Because you two are both, what, like roaming Europe? Like, did you ever run into each other again? <laughs> Or plan to see each other? So people will have to read the book to see if we ended up rendezvousing yeah. on the trip. But it was definitely a roller coaster of, are we going to see each other? Are we not going to see each other? Like, I wish I could say that I went to Europe and was like, fuck this guy. We're just going to write him off and like go left. But I was in love with him. So it was a very complicated situation. He also makes a... Uh, more than just an appearance in the sequel. So it was a long journey of trying to untangle a toxic relationship. And I think when people read the sequel, I had a really tough time writing that book because it spans over two years of my life, like from the moment I get home from Europe Mm. to two years forward. And I remember doing the edit and thinking – are people going to hate me because they're just so fucking over some of the back and forth stuff and me not being able to let go of things? And I remember my mom read the edit and one of her comments, she, and obviously she has her own fucking hateful feelings towards Javier. So like I had to take this with a grain of salt. But one of her comments like in the middle of the book was like, okay, I'm fucking overhearing about Javier. And I'm like, I'm well, over bitch, it. buckle up. Um, he comes for it. And <laughs> keeps going. And so – I was really nervous about that and had a lot of fear. And when I released the sequel, the majority of the DMs I got were how much people resonated with that one storyline and not being able to let go of someone that really has gotten into you. It's so real. Well, I can totally relate. I feel like I had an on again, off again, thought it was the love of my life for five years. Yep. And it just kept going. And yeah, logically, it's like, this isn't working. End it. But there is this love conquers all mentality. Or I believed in the core that he was the one for me and that it would all work itself out. Yeah. Looking back now, knowing what you know, what do you think was keeping you there? I think that I had developed a very toxic definition of what love was. I had Mm -hmm. come from a seemingly loveless marriage that had a very toxic cycle of him not supporting me and tearing me down and then fixing it with like money and trips and gifts, which Mm -hmm. is part of my love language. So was keeping me in that fucked up toxic cycle. And then got out of that and got into a situation with Javier where I was love bombed. And then even when he pulled away from me, still wanted to have sex with me, still Mm -hmm. like had this like insane connection that we talked about that he hadn't had with anyone else. And it was like, you romanticize the bare minimum and make excuses for that because you have these fucking love goggles on and you're like, but what if I'm the person that's going to change him? What if like everything's, he's obviously going to wake up one day and realize he's not like getting this type of passion with anyone else. I think our sex too was also a very toxic element of it because I wasn't getting any of the other things that I needed from a partner from him Mm. except in the bedroom. So that was like my high for that time. It was like, when am I going to get that next hit? And if he's going to see me and be obsessed with me and value me in that space, then obviously that makes it something that's good. And that's so toxic. 
Yeah. And that's so real, though. I mean, I think this is Mm -hmm. why the Aiden and Carrie (laughs) storyline is so infuriating to most people who love Sex and City is because, or Carrie and Big storyline is so infuriating. (laughs) I knew that you were saying, like, like, cheating on him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But as a third party looking at this relationship, you're like, get the fuck out. This is so toxic. But when you're in it, the untangling process is very difficult because you're emotions are involved, but also because you're learning about yourself along the way. So giving yourself grace when you're doing the untangling, I think that is key because otherwise, if cutting it cold turkey probably will leave you yearning for him even more and wondering about these things instead of like actually going through the experience and processing it all. Mm -hmm. But coming back from your trip, though, because I feel like this is a really epic trip that was life changing. You wrote your book. You experienced time on your own. What was that homecoming like? Because I can almost feel like I'm putting myself in your shoes. I probably would almost kind of dread going home. (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny you say that because I think in the last five chapters, I say at least once like, fuck, I don't want to go home. (laughs) (laughs) It, to be completely honest and transparent, it was devastating. I learned so much on that trip and became a different person in so many incredible ways. But I had gone from a blindsiding divorce to this whirlwind romance to a massive heartbreak to a month-long trip that was like, go, 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 not a lot of sleep, like changing locations, meeting new people. And I came home and it was like I got off the carousel and everything stopped. Yeah. And suddenly I was 28 back home living at my mother's house and oh yeah, I have to go get divorced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was really jarring in a lot of ways. And this is kind of like where the second book starts. And I write a lot about how I got out of that depression because it was very real for me to have to rectify with like, okay, what the fuck do I do now? Yeah. There was so much pressure from, I guess, that I put on myself on this trip of like, this has to be my eat, pray, love. Like I have to come back and like kumbaya my life into like the next generation. And it was (laughs) not that way. Like, yes, I learned so much and yes, I changed so much. And yes, like it was an incredible experience, but did I come back 100% healed? Fuck no. And usually, (laughs) yeah, usually on a healing journey, it's not like that. Like healing's not linear. It's a journey and it doesn't just like, you don't just wake up one day and decide like, oh shit, all my stuff's fixed. Great. Let's move on. And (laughs) it really was like a consistent thing that I had to work on when I came home. I mean, that's so relatable. Even if you didn't do an eat, pray, love type of trip. Like I remember when I started doing therapy, a lot of people we've heard in our, of our listeners, it's like when you've done all the work and you feel like you've taken this initiative, you're getting to the core of your issues. And then all of a sudden something comes in that throws you off track again. You almost like beat yourself up like, oh, I thought I was above this. Yeah. Did you have any moments? Because clearly Mm -hmm. Javier came back. So it's not like you got off this trip. Right. You were healed from that love and heartbreak. Like, what did that look like? Yeah, I think that one of the things that was a unhealthy pattern that I kept repeating that I realized during one of my thought onions on my Europe trip, but it didn't really come full circle till I went on my second solo trip, which is at the end of the second book, was the toxic relationship that I had with intimacy Mm. and that I would use intimacy and my body 
as a form of getting people to be close to me so that I wouldn't feel that abandonment. So that played out for me in a way of a one night stand in Amsterdam or jumping into bed with someone probably quicker than I should have or having sex when I didn't really fully want to do that. Mm. Which like, look, if you want to go out and have one night stands and you're doing it from the right reason, like more power to you. But I was not. I was doing it from Mm. a place of deep, deep fear and abandonment, which is never a good thing. So I realized that on this Europe trip and then even though I had come to the realization of it and kind of like hit me in the fucking face, when I came back, there were still moments where I regressed and would lean more onto that for comfort as opposed to just like waking up and going cold turkey with this new trajectory that I decided I needed to be on. And yeah, grace, like you have to give yourself grace. It's not like you're going to come to all these massive realizations and then just change who you are overnight. It's about continuously coming forward for yourself and putting them into practice. Love that. I think that's so important for people to hear. And fast forward to today, spoiler alert, you're engaged slash married (laughs) by the time this airs. As someone with abandonment issues and also going through all this heartbreak, how were you able to open yourself up to love again? You know, I learned at a really early age, I think from my mom when my dad passed, that you can't shut your heart off, that nothing good comes from that. I get that it's a protective thing and it's scary as fuck to keep your heart open, but it's like really the best thing that you can commit to doing. If I would have shut my heart off after my divorce, I wouldn't have met Javier, fallen in love, gotten Mm. my heart broken, went on this crazy journey, (laughs) wrote this book, changed into a different person. I mean, like it's like a blueprint of my life, like why it all had to happen. And while it was difficult with my current fiance at first to really like allow myself to fall and he's written about in the second book. So our whole crazy story about how we got to where we are is in the sequel, which is another reason why it was so difficult to write because I was still trying to protect this person in this relationship that I was with while writing about some really heavy shit that we went through. (laughs) It really came down to the fact that when I started to heal the abandonment stuff and realize that I was never really abandoned because I would never abandon myself Mm. and really Mm. start to work through some of that on a healing level, then I was able to start attracting people into my life that weren't going to abandon me like my current partner. So when he came into my life, I was like, wait, this can't be right. Where's the drama? Where's the fear? Where's the bullshit and the toxic sex? And like, where's all the things that I had now defined as love, which was incredibly incorrect. So it took me a long time to get used to and to get comfortable with that safe, healthy love and be able to relax into that for sure. That's really fascinating. I liked what you said about that you realize you could never abandon yourself because so often we look for validation within others. And that's why yeah. it hurts so bad yeah. is because it feels like a reflection of self when someone doesn't want to be with you or they don't want to pursue something further. What got you to the point that you were able to see that I will never abandon myself? Like I love myself. I have that self-love. It all mm-hmm. sounds so cliche when we say it, but we also believe believe that is the ultimate way that you find romantic love with someone else too. Yeah. How did you get there? 
I think the Europe trip was a big part of that, realizing how capable I was on my own, realizing that I could get through all of these situations on my own. Yes, I have friends and my mom and family and support, but like at the end of the day, like no one's going to make you feel better through the heartbreak, through the bullshit. You have to do that for yourself. So showing up for myself every day on that trip was really kind of what changed my perspective on that. And now it's like, Everything on the bingo card has taken place. Like I've gotten cheated on. I've been divorced. I've gotten heartbroken right before a trip. I've had people die in my life. We're pretty covered on the trauma scale of things. And my husband could decide tomorrow that he just doesn't want to be with me. And would I be sad and heartbroken? Yeah. But would I be okay? Yeah. I've gotten through everything else in my life. Mm. If he, God forbid, passed away, which is like a very big fear of mine because of my history with my dad and he's older than I am. So like that was a very big fear I had to work through. And I remember when I talked to my mom about it for the first time, she's like, you could get hit by a bus tomorrow, Gabrielle. Like, Mm -hmm. what do you mean? Because he's older. If something's going to happen, it's going to happen. You have to know that you are not going to abandon yourself, but you will come out the other end and you will be okay. It's such a real statement, though, to understand that. Because whenever we talk about abandonment, it's hard not to take it personally because it's someone Mm -hmm. else abandoning. It's like they're leaving you for a reason and it's about you. Mm -hmm. Looking back, Obviously, it's not about you. Nothing is really about you and when someone's abandoning you, but you're right. You're the only rock in your life and you'll never abandon yourself. So Mm -hmm. looking at your relationship now, how did this feel different than your previous relationships that made you go, hmm, interesting? (laughs) Well, this is going to be a weird answer at first, but hang with me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) At first... (laughs) I was like, there's something missing because Uh I didn't have that drama and that fight or flight that I felt within myself, that anxiety that all my other partners would inevitably like cause within me. It would almost be equated to like, sometimes this is boring. Mm -hmm. And I've Mm -hmm. come to realize as I've like grown and matured, that's good. Like, we love boring. We love, like, needing (laughs) to create the shit in our lives. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was, like, my first kind of, like, oh, well, this can't – this can't be it. There's no drama. There's no heartache. There's no anxiety. There's no questioning. Like, what do you mean? Obviously, I didn't know those words consciously. I just knew that there was something that was feeling different. There was something that wasn't feeling as obsessive. It felt very healthy and safe. And those were very foreign to me. What a concept. Yeah. Like, (laughs) shocker. We hear that all the time, though. We hear that all the time for people that this calming feeling is mistaken for no chemistry. And we're told that that's a barometer of a good relationship, right? Totally. And I think that there are people who come into your life that are supposed to be people for long-term relationships. And there's people that come in to be lovers. And those Mm -hmm. are very different people. Mm -hmm. Lovers are meant to be hot and heavy and passionate and have that like intensity, but could never fucking go the distance like Mm -hmm. with you in a million years. And there's the people that are supposed to be your best friend. And that doesn't mean you don't have chemistry. That doesn't mean you don't like to like be physical with them. But 
it's not that like level of intensity. And I feel like sometimes people are like, no, 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 I need everything all together in one person. And it's like, but do you? Because I would so much rather grow old with the person who I laugh until I pee my pants with than who I want to rip their clothes off 24 seven because that shit fades. Like I don't care who you are. (laughs) Absolutely. Whether it fades in a couple months, a couple years, or when you're getting into like your later years, that shit will fade. And then what's left? And I use the example all the time when I'm comparing like Javier to my current husband now. And I look at the way he handled the situation with he and I where he felt a little bit of grief and he fucking bolted. Would you want to marry someone, have kids with them, and God forbid something happens to one of your kids? Right. And they can't deal and they bounce. Right. Right. I would much rather be with my husband who like if I get into a boating accident and lose like three limbs, he's going to wipe my ass for me and still make me laugh at night. Like mm-hmm. 100% yeah. of the time. Well, there's the soulmate versus life partner. Yes. That reminds me of that. That the soul, yeah. like we think soulmate is who we end up with, but it's really that person that is here to teach you a lesson mm. where the life partner is someone that you do right. life with. I have a weird, a weird thing with the term soulmate. I think we have multiple soulmates. I think it's my mom is my soulmate. My fucking dog, I can tell you right now is my soulmate. We've been here <laughs> same, many times same. before. And I feel like it's just one soul's recognition of another and that come together to be something. I think Javier and I were more of like a karmic partnership Mm -hmm. where like those people come into your life to blow shit up, send you on a different trajectory and be like, later. (laughs) Yeah. And that was very true for that. And I'm very grateful for that relationship because like, let's just like get down to brass tacks. Like it changed my career. Right. And it like sent me on a trip that like allowed me to heal my (laughs) life and become this badass version of myself. So like, thanks, bro. You know? (laughs) I think I agree with you. It's what is the terminology, but it's the same outcome at the end of the day that this person's here to set you on, to teach you something and not be your partner in life. Totally. What got you to the point that you were finally ready to let him go so you could find that partner in life? Yeah, that's such a good question. And it's obviously written about in detail and the process of getting there in the second book. But it really was like me on this quest for closure. And I think that what people need to understand is that it's not the other person's responsibility to give you that closure. Mm -hmm. Going and trying to date again is not going to give you the closure. Going and having sex one more time is not going to give you the closure. Asking all of the fucking questions and having them give you all of the answers that they're capable of giving you isn't going to give you the closure. The closure comes from you looking at the facts of the situation. So like the disrespect, that was the closure. The toxicity of the relationship, that was the closure. I just needed to take the love goggles off and rectify that and like recognize that. So I think it was really finally just coming to terms with how not okay some of the shit that was going down was and respecting my worth and like realizing that. I think that is a great framework for people to work around when they're talking about getting over someone because we hear this all the time. If this person could see how good I am for them, they'll want to be with me, right? right? If they could see that I'm available and I'm ready for them, they'd be ready and available for me. They're just not ready. It's just bad timing. But Mm -hmm. you're saying, look at the facts. Yeah, The facts you cannot argue with. And the facts are pointing you to the answer that you're looking for. Because when we're stuck on that person, on that path, it takes us away from the right person Mm -hmm. and it doesn't give us room to meet the right person. 
100%. So now with your husband getting over the quote unquote boring, (laughs) something's missing mentality, when did you make that shift to going, oh yeah, this is my life partner? I think I always knew really deep down and was really scared of allowing those feelings to be there because consciously I was like, yeah, I want to be in a relationship. Yeah, like I want to be happy. But deep down it was like, but what if I get fucked again? And what if this ends up Mm -hmm. blowing up in my face the same way? And he had a lot of qualities about him that triggered whenever we attract a relationship into our life, it's to mirror shit to us to like be like, this is your shit. Yeah. Do you want to heal it? Yes, (laughs) absolutely. So he came into my life 15 years older than me. A lot of qualities that people who knew my father would say he embodies. Oh. So there was like, I had a big fear that like if I committed to this man, he was just going to end up dying. Mm. And he also had a daughter who was the same age I was when I lost my dad. So it was literally like all my trauma laid out in front of me being like, do you want to go through door number two, Gabrielle? And I was like, (laughs) maybe not. He's really hot. So I'll open the door, but I don't know if I'm going in. (laughs) It really came from me going and doing the work on myself and really digging deep on my healing journey. My second solo trip was to Southeast Asia. And I think it was really on that trip that I allowed a lot of those fears to come up so that I could deal with them and sift through them to the point where I could push them aside and like see what was very clearly in front of me. Let's hold that thought for a quick message. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast exit interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the walls. And feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So for anyone going through this now Mm. that maybe, you know, has gotten a bad hand at love and feels discouraged, what's some words of wisdom to help them get out of this and to be open to love again? The biggest thing I can remind you guys of is that as horrible as things might seem in this moment and as dark as they might seem in this moment, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It is more beautiful than you could ever imagine. You just have to keep going. So try to zoom out and have a little bit of perspective on the fact that you've gotten through everything you've gone through thus far. This in five years is not going to feel like the end of the world, how it probably feels now. So you just have to focus on continuing to keep going and showing up for yourself. In our entire conversation, I never once heard you say, why me? Why did this happen to me? Mm -hmm. But we Mm -hmm. do hear this a lot from daters who feel like, why is all this shit happening to me? You know, being that victim in their own love story. I'm sure you felt that at some point. 
How were you able to deal with that thought? I think we talk about this a lot on my podcast that you have to take accountability. If you are continually being cheated on, do you deserve that? Absolutely not. Is there something in you that's unhealed that's attracting those people into your life? Yeah. Mm. And when you find that and fix that, you will then be able to attract different people into your life. So on one side, it's taking accountability. I also, from a very young age, was taught by my mother not to be a victim. Mm. And I don't mean that in a mean way, but I do think that sometimes people People can get lost in the, oh my God, this happened to me and woe is me and like it's always going to affect me and I'm never going to get over this. And it's like, first of all, why would you want to live that way? Secondly, Mm -hmm. you have a choice when you're going through heartbreak, grief, like any of the fucked up shit that life throws at you. You're going to get to a fork in the road after you've done your grieving and you've cried and you've eaten the gallon of ice cream, like whatever you've needed to do, (laughs) you're going to get to a fork in the road. And you can choose to go left and continue to be a victim to that and say, this is going to define me for the rest of my life and I'm always going to carry it with me like a burden, a badge of honor and like really be in that victim mentality. Or you can go right and say, look, this happened to me. It's not going to define me. It's going to be a part of my story, but I am going to use it to become a better version of myself. So for me, while I was going through it, it sucked and it hurt and it was horrible for my heart, but I knew that it was happening for a reason. And I held on to that. I knew that this book was going to change people's lives around the world. I knew that it was going to be a really big deal in my world and in my life. So knowing that and holding on to that, even in those dark moments, really allowed me to move forward and move through it. And I would do it 10 times over to end up where I am now. It's such a good attitude because I think like dating trauma, we talk about that a lot on the podcast. And you know, there's some people that hold on to it, like we were saying in the more victim mentality, and there's others that use it to propel them forward. Now that you've done this self-work, you've gone on these, what we like to call dating vacations, which is exactly what (laughs) you were doing, (laughs) is taking this break to reflect and learn about yourself so you can come back more more empowered in your love life. How do you think those skills and like healing from this trauma has actually helped your current day relationship? I think I am much more communicative now. When I was dating in my 20s, it was like, what's your job? What do you do for fun? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite restaurant? And now it's like, (laughs) how's your relationship with your mother? Have you been to therapy? What long-stemming traumas do you have? Uh Like, it's a whole different fucking (laughs) checklist. And so we're very communicative with each other. If there's something that's bothering me, I'm like, look, this is my problem. This is how I would love for you to address it and fix it. And then I give him the opportunity to show up and do that. And he always does. Mm. But so many times people want to play these kind of like mind games where they like think that your significant other should just know what you're thinking or know what's wrong. And it's like, I say this lovingly, men aren't the smartest tools in the box. Like sometimes they need to be like, hey, when you do this, it makes me feel this. And they're like, oh, fuck, I don't want you to feel like that. How do I do that different? You're like, let me tell you how. It's like a very simple formula. And like, we're smart, you know, when shit hits the fan and we have issues, we go to therapy. We talk about it, like we address it. So I think all of the shit that I've been through has just made me more self-aware of how to be in a healthy relationship and not let stuff pile up. 
I love that. I mean, I think this is such a great conversation and story for people to hear because it's very relatable. And I love that you're able to get out of it and not fall into that victim trap. So my biggest takeaways from this, I think first and foremost, I love this idea of peeling back the onion Mm -hmm. and looking at the different layers. We actually have something similar that we call the three whys is like, how do you get Mm. to that deeper core issue? Yeah. And I think so often we do stop at like what's surface level and what's happening. But how do we push ourselves? Yeah. Because that's how we start to see dating as growth and relationships as growth yeah. opposed to, oh, this is just happening to me. And that's what keeps us in the victim trap opposed to actually coming out of it. And like you said, giving you the tools to now have healthy relationships. Like I really believe that you do have to go through some of this heartache and the trenches and the parts of relationships that can be really painful to appreciate and to actually 100%. Yeah, like move forward in a healthy relationship. So I love that dating vacation. I think everyone needs to take one, yes. whether it's literal and you're going you know, to another country or I took a dating vacation. I just went an hour north to Calistoga Hot Springs and yep. it was that time that you spend on your own. The part that you said that really resonated with me that I went through too is that I was always having people distract me and I was never alone Yes, with my thoughts. Even when I wasn't in a relationship, there was yeah. someone I was dating or someone I was hooking up with or, or someone. Or your phone and yes. Netflix and TikTok. Yes. Yeah. yes. Something is and occupying. Snacks. Yes. Yes. Something is occupying your space. There's so much. I love that we went beyond people. There's so much that's going on and occupying your space. But using that time between dates to actually reflect, we hear people say all the time, taking a dating sabbatical, I'm going to uninstall the apps and then I reinstall them a day later and I uninstall them again. You know, just pressing pause and actually reflecting and using this break to help propel you forward. I really do believe for me personally, this was something that helped me significantly in my dating journey. Sometimes you need to slow down to speed up. And if you just keep going without ever reflecting and understanding what is it you want, you just stay on a dating hamster wheel forever running in this place. Yeah. Yeah. To take time for yourself is to really get to know yourself better. That's why I love solo travel so much is because it really forces you out of your comfort zone to be by yourself. When you meet people solo traveling, they don't have that layer of bullshit on that you would have in a normal city situation. It's so quick and like people are only there for a couple days and they're moving on. So they're just like very authentic in the way that they present themselves. And it's important to learn how to be like that in a day-to-day life. And I think the only way you can do that is when you take that time for yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think anyone Mm. that can do a solo trip, especially internationally, it's such a great experience. I personally have never done it and I wish I could do it. But also, even if you don't have that at your disposal, right this minute just taking a walk to a secluded place in your city it doesn't yeah, need go to, to be... the beach go camping yeah. doesn't need to be fancy like we can do these yeah. dating vacations anywhere i am also a huge proponent of psychedelics if you don't want to go on a physical trip somewhere that's you can right. go on a mental trip that's right 
Yeah, I just you did a, an episode of the podcast with someone talking about their ayahuasca journey, and I write about a shroom trip in my second book. And so, yes, that's always a solid option, <laughs> but do it in a smart way. Like, do it with like a guide yes. and like for spiritual reasons. <laughs> yeah, do what's right for you is basically yeah. the lesson of this dating vacation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't get it off Craigslist. No. Don't do that. Definitely not. Do it responsibly. <laughs> my biggest takeaway really is about how the healing journey is a journey. It's a process. And I think so many of us, when we are at a crossroads, we're looking for that methodology, like what's my step number one? And then what's two? And if I do steps three to five, I'll be healed. (laughs) And there is no formula for healing. And that's probably a good thing because there is a process in all of this. And we can discover that process on our own. But also knowing that it's okay to take some steps Mm -hmm. back. I think that sometimes so many of us who are highly capable, accomplished, we feel like when we're healing from something, we got to keep moving forward, keep progressing. But in your example, Gabrielle, even on your trip, some days you are being irresponsible and partying and some other days you are being introspective. And that's okay. Taking those steps back actually helps you appreciate how far you've come. Yeah. So that's also part of the journey. My friend gave me this really good analogy the other day. She's like, we're trees with branches. And sometimes a branch gets cut off yeah. and you mourn that branch and you maybe you bury it, mm-hmm. but your other branches keep growing and you can keep watering yeah. your roots for these branches to blossom. Oh, I love that. So right. just because it's a very beautiful imagery because it just shows that we're constantly growing and we're moving, even if you're not physically moving, even if you feel like you're stuck, nothing is on pause, mm-hmm. especially after something traumatic happens. So it put me at ease in thinking about some of the tools I would have to go through a healing process. And I also love that you mentioned identifying what healthy love looks like. Mm-hmm. And it's so important for all of our listeners to sit down and think about what is healthy love. <laughs> we all know what toxic love could look like, but can we also focus on what healthy love looks like so that we don't one day get into a situation of being like, I felt no chemistry right. or there was something right. missing or that yep. felt boring because that probably meant you found someone who's good for you. Yeah, I always tell my readers and my listeners, you're either going to fall wildly in love and be incredibly happy or you're going to get your heart broken and learn a bunch of lessons and become a better version of yourself. Either way is going to be beneficial and something that you need. So keep your heart open. And I mean, don't like walk through just all the red flags with your eyes covered and be like, I'm at a carnival. This is great. (laughs) But, you know, allow yourself to take that leap and to be open because that's what life is about. And I love love goggles. We're going to use that term now. We're going to borrow that from you. (laughs) We should make physical love goggles, like beer goggles, you know? Yeah. Make them. Ah, Like the the lenses are blurry and you can't see through them, you know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. So, Gabrielle, if people want to learn more about you, your podcast, your book, where can they go? So, I'm on Instagram at Gabrielle Stone and on TikTok at Gabrielle underscore Stone. The books are Eat, Pray, FML. And the sequel is The Ridiculous Misadventures of a Single Girl. Both are available exclusively (laughs) on Amazon. You can also get them signed by me on my website, which is eatprayfml.com, where we have all the merch. All the website stuff is there in one place. 
space. I also have a self-love healing journal called Fuck Off, I'm Healing. (laughs) And it's really a (laughs) step-by-step guide to kind of unpack a lot of the trauma and the stuff that life has thrown at you to get to a better, more healed place that I kind of walk you through holding your hand doing. That's also on Amazon or on my website. And the podcast is FML Talk. It airs every Wednesday. Love it. And we will be guests on there. So definitely tuned for that. (laughs) I'm going to get your sequel because I loved your first book. And I didn't even even know that you had a sequel. So this is news here. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. I hope you enjoy it. Javier. Yeah. Making an appearance. (laughs) Mm, Shaking my head. Shaking my head. We all have a Javier in our life, you know. Oh, we all do. That's (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Yes. Yes, we do. For our listeners, what did you learn from this episode? Drop us a line by giving us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. You know, give us five stars and say, I learned this from Gabrielle. Tell us about the heavier in your life. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us how you're going about your healing journey. What's been working for you? We love to hear from you. And you can always drop us a line by emailing us hello at dablepodcast.com. All of your reviews and ratings really help us get wonderful guests like Gabrielle so she knows we're legit and she's trusting us (laughs) with us asking her about her very personal life. And it just helps us keep going with our podcast. So we thank you for all of you who've already given us ratings and reviews. And for anybody who hasn't, please do so in Apple Podcasts. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap up this episode. Stay Datable. The Datable Podcast is part of the Frolic Media Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Datable Podcast and visit datablepodcast.com for access to all the episodes and our premium programs. Also, make sure to subscribe today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform so you are the first to get all the latest episodes. And most importantly, stay datable. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 